I'd like for you to open your Bible once again to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just for a brief moment, we want to highlight the text that I'm using for the title, God's Plan for Being Where He Set You. God's Plan for Being Where He Set You. If He set you here in this church as a member of this body of believers, is it not true He has a plan for you here? There is a reason why God would set us anywhere. There is a reason for being there. And there is a purpose for which God has that He's going to have fulfilled in us. We're here for a reason. I am. I can say for myself that I know, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, I belong here. And I hope you know the same thing. I am not a perpetual visitor. I am a part. I'm a part. That's why we use the word commitment the last two weeks. A lack of commitment will make you little more than a spectator or a visitor. But a commitment will get you involved so that you are a part, that you do function, you do try, and God will speak to you like that. Now, in 1 Corinthians 12, he said in verse 12, 12, 14, and 18, For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that body being many are one body, so also is Christ. That is, we are members of His body. He's the head and we are the parts He uses to express Himself on this earth. We are His people, His hands and His feet and so forth. Verse 14, For the body is not one member, it's not a preacher, it is many. And verse 18, But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased Him. Now, so far I've said, first of all, about commitment. There has to be this commitment that you make as a human being to what God has for you. The role you play, the part you play, the function you have. If it's nothing more than one who prays or helps, whatever you do, you're a part of it. You have to be willing to do the things that God wants you to do where He plants you or sets you. And we said this the last couple of weeks. We're sent here, all of us who were sent here, were sent here because of a need that we have. I know, having stood in this pulpit and many others for most of my life now, that there are lots of people in church who really don't see their need. God is somewhat, and His work and His Word is somewhat of an option for a lot of people. That'd be nice, but, you know, I, I, I don't really need that. And it's kind of a pick and choose like a smorgasbord. God puts a lot of things out there, and you have the privilege of just picking and choosing what you want. And it's evident by after 20 years or so of being in an environment like that, you're not growing. It's because something is lacking. You don't see your need. God will meet everybody's need in this room. There's not a need anybody has that God cannot meet. But he won't meet it if you're not interested. If you're nothing more than a spectator, he probably won't. And you'll live that way wondering why he didn't until you're an old person. And then we started out by saying that these needs are met. His plan is to meet these needs. And these needs are met, first of all, by bringing us here to learn by the hearing of the Word. 
Anybody can sit at home and read it. Anybody can sit at home and listen to a tape, which would be hearing by words anyway. But God put us here to learn, to accumulate knowledge and spiritual realities that we have never had before or have them put together in such a way that we see things the way God is showing things. And he put us here for that. The Lone Ranger doesn't get that. Cruisomatics don't know what I'm talking about. But when you put yourself somewhere and you begin to pray for that place, you begin to see how vital it is for you to be in that place, that the people that are surrounding you love you and they will care for you, and that you have a responsibility to be here and to listen and to learn and to pay attention and to meditate on what you've heard and mull it over in your mind and think about it. God wants you to know that in this way, He will teach you His ways. And it's more than just an academic thing. It becomes your life. The second thing we said last week was that God put us here so that we can undergo change and be conformed to Christ. The Bible portrays us as people that are in darkness. We have no light. We do not know where we're going. We cannot see clearly the right way. And as God begins to open our eyes, it's like 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. We behold as in a mirror the glory, the outshining, the light of the Lord. And the Bible says, as we behold, it's a choice I have to make. But as I behold in this mirror the glory of the Lord, the Bible says, I will be changed into the same image, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. I won't be God. I won't be a Savior. But I will be Christ-like. That's what Christian means. I will begin to live as He has given me to live. What was it John the Baptist said? He must increase. I must decrease. So that it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. That reflection... The reflection of that image is something the whole world needs to see. Or Romans 8 and verse 29, he said, Whom he foreknew, them he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. This is a work that God is doing in churches. I hope it's happening in all of them. I hope it happens everywhere. I know it should be happening everywhere. But this is what God is doing. The Word, the revelation of the Word the conviction of what it says and your need to be transformed and changed so that you may really begin to walk as He walked or walk in newness of life. And this is one of the reasons we're sent here. We never did that before. I didn't live like that before I got saved. I didn't live like that when I was sitting in Sunday school class literally with no interest in hearing nothing. I didn't. I didn't really know what was going on until the Lord saved me. I remember the first desire, spiritual desire I ever had was to read the Bible. The only one I had was a vacation Bible school, Bible 1947. That was a long time ago. It was so old I didn't want to read that. I borrowed the pastor's Bible. He was leaving for a two-week vacation, and I borrowed his Schofield Bible to study I get asleep at night, and I think, why do we have to go to sleep? We could just stay and study. Everything was new. 
And the more it become new, the more I begin to ponder. Well, why does it say that? What does that mean? Then I bought another Bible. It was an annotated Bible. Annotated means it has notes at the bottom, footnotes by the whoever. They're not always anointed, but they're for information. There's scholarly writings about what somebody thinks that verse meant. And so I bought that. Then buy a book about the Bible. Next thing you know, I can't learn fast enough. And I can see how those many years ago, this was a great need in my life. I didn't know anything about God. Didn't know anything about the Bible. I wanted to know everything there was. I wondered why everybody didn't. I couldn't believe that people didn't study. And, you know, you get that attitude and you have to work on that too. But Paul wrote, you know, he was a great teacher. He labored in the Word. And in Galatia, he said, How I travail for you until Christ be formed in you. Till you quit all of this other stuff that just wears you down and defeats your testimony to the world and you can't witness to people and because of this problem and this weakness in your life and your attitude. and Christ isn't like that. Let Him come forth. So one of the reasons we're here is that God can do this and that He can be formed in us. And I ended last week by saying this is a twofold work. It's the work of refining and cleansing because the Word is like a fire. And the refiner, who is Jesus, is like refiner's fire. And when he comes in, there has to be a change. He has to increase. You've got to decrease. He takes over. You give in. And all the stuff in us that has to go, the Bible calls dross. Dross can never please God. Dross can never get a divine heavenly reward from God. It is always against God. It has to be removed. The removal comes through fire. Remove the dross from the silver, and there comes out a vessel for the finer, something he can use. That's point two today, point one. Now, today, thirdly, in God's plan for sending me here, a need of mine that needs to be met and that he will meet where he plants me is that he has set me here in this body so that I can be prepared for the Lord's coming. Do you believe the Lord is coming back? Now, he said he was, but he said he was a long time ago. And how many hundred years have passed since he said he's coming? And he said, keep looking. He will only appear. He will only appear to those that look for him. And if we lose interest in the preparation that has to take place in our lives so that we will be acceptable unto Him when He comes. If we lose interest in that, if that's not kept before us, we will begin to drift away. We'll begin to slumber. You know, there were those who were invited to the Lord's feast. Remember that? They finally said, well, the Lord has delayed His coming. Maybe He's not coming after all. So they began to take liberties with their time and other things. And when the Lord came, they were shut out. They didn't really look for him. They did look for him once. There was a time, oh, this was a keen message. Oh, amen, brother, praise God, let's get, to, oh boy. But then after a while, all these distractions began creeping in your life. You started making a little more money. Then other things come up and other options. Bend a little bit, maybe compromise what you thought you believed a little bit so you can get an advantage in life here. And next thing you know, you're not looking for the Lord at all.
you're living for yourself, you're full of pride and anguish and difficulty. And Christianity is not really working for you. See, this happens in life. God delays His coming. He delays what He said He would do sometimes, even in healing people. He delays the healing sometimes. It's a test. What will you do with all these things that are coming into your life? What will you do with all these temptations? What will you do in light of this or in light of that? You asked for this, you didn't get it. Oh, it doesn't look like he cares about it. What are you going to do with all of that? What will you do? And so there are all these things have to be dealt with. But we're here to get ready. Now, every week is another opportunity, along with all the things that God is saying about our life on this earth. One thing we can never escape is that Jesus Christ is coming, and he is coming back for specific people. Not people who join the church, who sing in the choir. Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, you not only are not entering in yourself, but you're not allowing others who want to enter in to enter. You're talking them out of their life. And it's happening today, I'm afraid. God forbid that it would ever happen to us. It can, God forbid. We must be ready for the Lord's coming. Jesus is going to return. I don't know when, and you don't either, but he will return. And just like those virgins, it might be a long night. You better have enough oil because it'll take oil. And you better stay ready and keep yourself ready and be robed right and with the right company waiting for the Lord's coming. You need to do that. Now, turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, let's read verse 17 first. We are set here for preparation for Jesus' coming. He is coming. Now, here's what the ministry of John the Baptist was about. Well, let me say it like this. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. He's the one who came before to announce the coming of the Lord, was he not? And I think he is also a type, and you can do whatever you want to this. John is a type of New Testament ministry that God calls certain people to do specific things to prepare people for the Lord. Like what I'm doing this morning, if people listen and will give heed, it will have to do with your preparation for, for the Lord's coming. Other things will happen too. But it will continually refine you and prepare you and get you in a place where you are ready for the Lord to come. Because you do want to hear the Lord say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You never want him to say, I never knew you. You want him to know you and you want to know him. Luke 1 and verse 17, concerning John the Baptist, and he shall go before him, that's Jesus, in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And then these words, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, I do believe that valid ministry today should have as a priority this message to make ready a people for the Lord. Pulpits today are designed only to make people happy or to give you a little boost to just do better next week or something. That will only last for the week. 
But what God is doing is adding upon and adding upon from glory to glory to glory in preparation so you can see Jesus is coming. The fear of God begins to come into your life. You begin to see your need for for humility and honor and patience and endurance because you don't want to miss this. You don't want to be distracted and He comes and you don't know it. You don't want to come to church some Sunday morning and wonder where some people are when they don't answer their phone and you can't find them and the car's still in the driveway. You break in the house and they're gone. You don't want that to happen to you because I believe something like that will happen. And I believe a lot of preachers who don't go will probably say... Well, now people saying the rapture took place. We know that didn't happen because we're still here. And if God was going to take anybody, he would have taken us. And yet, people were gone. Not everybody in the church was gone, but you might say the overcomers were. They were gone. They were prepared. They were ready. They were waiting. They were looking. They were diligent. They were applying themselves. And when the Lord came, they saw him. They not only heard the trumpet, they saw him. They heard a shout, and then they heard the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and there it was. It was just right there. There he is. And they were caught up to meet him in the air. You really want to be a part of that. And if you're not here and you're dead, then you sure want your grave to open up, and you want to make sure you come out of there. Because the Bible said that'll happen too. But the dead in Christ. But he said in Luke 1, he said, verse 17, to make ready... A people prepared for the Lord. The word ready here means to put in readiness. Now, was that not the mission of John the Baptist? The Lord's coming. You know, to, to proclaim that. The Lord is coming. Get ready. He'll be here. And like I said in Luke nine twenty eight, he said, Unto those that look for him shall he return the second time without sin. To those who look for him. Sin won't be dominating these people that are looking for the Lord. They will put that under their feet. They, they can't allow themselves to do that. And these are the ones that Jesus is coming back for. Those that are prepared. I looked up the word prepared in the dictionary. And the word prepared, prepared for the Lord, means adjusted and disposed in a state of moral rightness. Prepared. Disposed and given to a state of moral rightness. That's a choice. God said, this is the way walk in it. I have to be willing to do that. But this is what will happen. This is what we preach. This is what is proclaimed. This is what God says you must do with all the other things you do of getting this and that right in your family and your job and your business and, and ethics. You have got to do this. You have got to cleanse yourself before God. The temple that Jesus chose to live in, which is our body, is undergoing a cleansing. And this cleansing is in preparation for the Lord's coming. There will be no dirt when He comes. He's going to have us to be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. You know why it's without spot or wrinkle or any such thing? Because that's the way God wants you to be when He comes. When Jesus comes, that's what he wants. He wants you to be without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. He doesn't make you without spot, wrinkle, any such thing. He shows you that you should be without spot. Then he warns you, you better be without spot. 
And then the deep conviction that the Holy Spirit brings causes you to make preparation so that you cleanse your life and you get out of these things. This is a message that we should preach. Look at verse 76 through 79 at the end of this chapter. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. Again, concerning John. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Notice this, verse 77. To give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Join me for a minute. How do you give knowledge? How do you give knowledge? I can't give you knowledge. I can't give you what I got, but you know what I can do? I can have an experience that I have learned something. I have had revelation from the Bible, and all of us have. And one of the purpose of this revelation is not only to affect me, but it's also to give me something to share with you. Isn't it? John the Baptist was saying to the people, this is what the Lord says. Doesn't have to be some prophetic word. Hear ye, hear ye, the Lord saith. It's just simply be teach you. Teach the way of salvation. What is the way of salvation? We're sinners. We're all doomed. We're all living in a dark place and can never see light. We are doomed to the things that are looking us square in our face. We can do nothing about it. We're weak. We can feel bad about what we've done. We can be bothered by why we do it. But we can't do anything about it because of the dominance of sin. Sin. A thing that is just a thing to most people. Sin is a character. It's a devil. It lieth at the door. And as Genesis said, his sin, his desire is for you never ceases to follow you around looking for a weakness in an opening. Goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. Sin. And this caving into these little things in our lives, it keeps us in a dark place where we don't understand what it's about. Or you can join church and learn all the songs and raise your hands and say, I want to praise the Lord this morning. You can do that. I want to make a good confession. I confess that you can do that. You can do that and not know where you're going. You can do that hoping all of this works, hoping it'll come to pass like you were taught, but not really knowing of living in that sort of a middle fear zone. You're not real sure, not real comfortable, but you're trying because you're just not really sure about what's being said and what's going to be done. But light, when God gives light, you begin to see things his way. All these shadows go away. You begin to see things the way you're supposed to. And your message becomes clear. God is almighty. God is. And you begin to proclaim to people, Jesus will do this. Jesus will do that. He did it for you. It's your testimony. You begin to live like this. You begin to proclaim this. The knowledge of salvation is that you're a sinner. Jesus came to save. And when he did what he did on the cross... God spoke to you. He said, if you repent, you'll be forgiven. And everything that stood between you and I will be gone. And even though your background is full of dirt and trash and ignorant foolishness, 
it'll all be moved out of the way. And you can come before God, sinner though you were, and be forgiven of all your sins. Isn't that wonderful? Nobody in this room was worse than I was. Nobody was as bad as I was. Oh, I did more. You might have done more, but my heart was as wicked as, as uh, it just wasn't good. And one day, the reality on June 30th, 1968, it was there. And all that dark life was removed. And I stepped into something and it scared me. I didn't know where it was going. Didn't know what it was about. And I woke up that next day with where I started this morning, with that great hunger. And each word was like a light bulb. And light added to light made light. Whereas the scripture says, in thy light we see light. And more and more he began to open you know, the door, the light come under the door, and you're looking for it, and he'd make it a little bigger, and then you begin to see this, or you'd see that. And he would open up to you this, or you'd see that, and he'd bless you this way and bless you that way. And, oh... And there's no sin in your life now to block this from coming in. Your heart's changed. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you can't sin. Doesn't mean you can't mess up again because we all do. We shouldn't. It's not right to. But God begins to give you a reason to overcome and a reason to draw near and all of that. And John came, he said, to give light of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Look at verse 79. To give light to them that sit in darkness. I do believe with all my heart that God sends people here so that this can continually take place. That the darkness in our life can give way to His light. That God will give you light and show you and reveal things to you. Put your finger right there and turn to Acts chapter 26, if you will. Acts chapter 26 and verse 18. This is ministry. We're talking here now about ministry in the church, what our purpose is. God's plan includes this. He said, to open their eyes... And turn them from darkness to light. Does that mean we were all in darkness? We were. And from the power of Satan unto God, were we all under the dominion of Satan? We wouldn't admit it because we were too dignified, but now we realize we were all under the power of Satan in darkness. And he sent us here to be turned from all of that. Here it is again, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those which are sanctified by faith. That is in me. We were in darkness. I taught on darkness and light a few weeks ago. And how dominant darkness is in so many people's lives. And yet the first thing when you get saved, when your sins are gone, the first thing that happens, you begin to see things, maybe little tiny things you never saw before. And it's always good. It's refreshing. It's clean. And it's without putrefaction. It's just, oh, God. Just the fact that I'm a child of the king. I am dumber than the coal bucket, but I am a child of the king, whatever that means. I don't know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know right now I'm a child of the king. I can't tell you what the Bible says about a thousand subjects, but I know that right now I'm a child of the king.
It's the most wonderful knowledge a man has ever had. Ever. To be a child of God. All because you were given faith to believe that what Jesus did, He did for you. And it broke your heart that He had to do that because of you. Oh, Jesus, forgive me. And He does, and a new light comes into your life. You're illumined just a little bit to know one vital piece of information that excels all the other things you'll ever learn. I am a child that belongs to God. I am a sinner that has been saved by grace. God's grace and favor came to me, and the application of His grace to my life, which we call mercy, has brought me out of darkness unto His marvelous light. He cleansed me and gave me a new reason to live little by little every day. Little by little in every way, Jesus is making me number one. No, He's changing me. That's good. In Isaiah 42, I want you to turn to that one too. Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 7. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. Now, some say this is talking about Jesus. Some say it's about maybe Isaiah. For a moment, see if you can put yourself in here. See if, if God is talking to you. See if you can handle this. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Well, I can't do that. But he shall not cry nor lift up his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto man. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth. And the isles shall wait for his law. Thus saith the Lord God, He that created the heavens and stretched them out. He that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it. He that giveth breath unto the people upon it. And the spirit to them that walk therein. Now he's talking about us. I the Lord have called you in righteousness. And will hold thy hand and will keep thee. And give thee for a covenant of the people. For a light to the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Is that not a message of priority? I want you to think about it. Maybe you can't relate to the first five or six verses, but the last two you can. God did put his spirit upon us for some reason. The message of the New Testament is a powerful message. When Jesus sent his disciples out two by two, you read in Luke 10 and Matthew 10, when he sent them out two by two, he told them to do two things, heal the sick and preach the kingdom. Heal the sick, preach the kingdom. Heal the sick, preach the kingdom. These signs shall follow those who believe. They'll lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. It's kingdom power. In verse 7, he said that we're to open the blind eyes. Open the blind eyes and to bring out the prisoners from the prison and then to set in darkness out of the prison house. Now think of this. 
What is a prison house? It's a place where criminals are. There's no sunshine there. There's no recreation there. There's nothing good there. You may think there is because that's all you've ever known. But a prison house is a place of bondage. You're bound. And it says you're bound because you're in darkness. And because you don't know anything that's right, or if you've heard of right things spoken, you don't know what to do with it or how to make application of it. And so you don't. You leave it be. And you remain in that dark state, in that prison house, bound by the things of this world. And nothing's going on. And Jesus said, I'm going to put my spirit upon you. That's not only from the pulpit, but from you out there who are God's living testimony on this earth. You're his witnesses. That's my last point. To go into all the world and proclaim that deliverance has come to the captives. The captives have been set free. The prison doors have been opened. Darkness has been dispelled and light has come. That's our message. It's got to be. If we come to this place, if we go anywhere, any meeting, anywhere, and if people are there sitting in darkness with the wrong ideas, wrong understandings, not living the way Jesus said because they don't know how to do that, if they've never been taught specific things that are maybe not popular, you know, don't, don't deal with stuff like that. And so the people are sitting there and not ever really knowing the truth. Are they not in some degree sitting in darkness? And does not that darkness hinder them as far as their Christian life is concerned? It plays a role in whether or not you really get ready. When you're in darkness in a Christian setting, it means you're just not sure it'll work. I've heard it'll work. I know it'll work. But you can't let go of your fears. And you're just not sure. And there's this constant drawing back and knowing you shouldn't, but don't know. Because the only way you're going to get free is knowing the truth. Jesus specifically said, you shall know not academically, but know in a vital, personal way. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Don't ever go through life saying you were saved by a stranger because you don't know Jesus. You know about him, but you don't know him. For the knowledge of Christ is so vital that he said in John chapter 8, listen at these words, John chapter 8 in verse 12, Then spoke Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. Or we could say he is light to a dark world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Let me ask you a question. After all these years, are you following him? See, that's the way he said it. Why don't you look in John chapter 8? I know you know that I've quoted that right, but look at it. So you can look at it while I'm talking. Jesus said in John 8 and verse 12, I am the light of the world. Does your Bible say that? Something close. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. That means the world lieth 
in darkness. That Satan and darkness are synonymous. Jesus said he is the power of darkness. Darkness is only able to exercise its power because there's no light. Good people's eyes are not being opened. Noble people are wanting to serve God and give their heart and everything to God, but they are restrained because of a lack of knowledge. Do you hear me? Jesus said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And throughout the New Testament, especially the epistles, it's to give yourself to the word and doctrine. Labor in the word and doctrine. Why are ministries today, why are they given that call? They may not even know it. But why is that so profound in the New Testament? Labor. Give thyself wholly or totally to this. We cannot go in Acts chapter 6 and do all those things. Appoint deacons to do that. We must give ourselves to the word and prayer. Why? Because word is light. People's eyes are only opened as the word comes forth. Again, our blessed verse in Ephesians 1, that God may give to you a spirit of wisdom and, say revelation. Revelation in the knowledge of Him. The knowledge of Him. Oh, how important is it? How important is it to know Him? Take my yoke upon you, Jesus said. Didn't he say, and learn of me? For I am meek and lowly, and you shall find rest unto your soul. Not turmoil, not agitation, not uncertainty, not, oh God, I just, I just don't know. You won't have that. Peace, peace, as he said at the end of verse 79, he will guide your feet unto peace in Luke 1. He'll guide your feet unto peace. Peace, peace. How did it come? It came through the hearing of the word and the belief of the truth. Romans 13. Through the hearing and the believing of the truth, God brings peace. You never had it before. Not only peace, but joy. I hope this fits with all of you. The joy of going to church. The absolute looking forward to of meeting again with you. Not saying, oh, is it Wednesday again? Is it Sunday morning? No. <laughs> Praise God. It came. Here it is again. It's been going on for 40 some years now. The joy of being here. Would that not mean if there is such a thing in somebody's life that God has in some way messed with them? Done something with them? Ignited something? Touched something? Brought something out that had never been known before? And there is a new kind of joy in your life? You're going to hear something you haven't heard before or in a way you never quite heard it or a new piece of light is going to be added to the light you've got and it's going to grow a little brighter. And I'm going to be a better man or a woman tomorrow than I was today because I can see more clearly today because of a little ray of light that was added to the light I had. And the more you get, the more you begin to see what light is all about. It's Jesus. He is the light of the world. He is the glory 
He is the outshining of God. He is the Shekinah. And you begin to see that and everything else is just pales in that light. I don't know how many of us have ever been here, or how many of us are there, and that kind of a life yet. But wouldn't it be good if we were all there? Until that we just look forward to church, finding out some new information in the Bible. A friend of mine that died a couple weeks ago had a memorial service last week. And I remember sitting in the back of the room while they were taking turns sharing about his life. And I was thinking, I remember, especially with him, we first got saved. All we did was study. And we had learned something we didn't think the other one knew. Hey, I learned something. Yeah, I already knew that. Well, no, you didn't, but let's go back. <laughs> we began to study. We'd meet together after church. Couldn't wait to go to church because we knew after the meeting was over, we're going to go to the so-and-so's house and we're going to sit around till midnight and you got to get up in the morning at 6.30 to get ready to go to school and you're going to dread that getting up. But it pales in light of the joy we're going to have talking about the Word. We had time for the Word. Oh, getting up in the morning was horrible. Go to bed at 1 a.m. and get up at 6.30 and uh, going this morning, I quit. I am resigning. Oh, I didn't like that at all, but I looked forward. Because, see, after church was over, you're, I ain't sleepy. We'd sit around and eat bad bologna and eat and cheese and stuff, tons of it. That was when bologna was good for you back in those days. <laughs> and loved it. The joy of Jesus. Just talking about Him and comparing ideas and, and traveling almost anywhere to hear almost anybody. If they talked about Jesus, here came that Christian church bunch. We were there on the front row. We were at a big meeting in Florida in 1970. We drove to Florida. We, we were told that's where it is. So we said, then we're going where it is. We drove down there. We didn't have any money. We had fun. And we went down there to Florida, sat on the front row, made sure we got up early enough to sit on the front row. I want to see what's going on. And they were the most lively bunch. In the Christian church, we didn't do what they were doing. They had tambourines, and they were dancing and clapping their hands and carried on. We just tried to do what they were doing. You know, just trying to have us some fun. That lady from Birmingham handed me a tambourine. She said, y'all having so much fun here. Take this. I thought, uh, is that bite? <laughs> I don't know what that is. Is it is a snake? Well, I didn't know how to play that. Everybody just, we just, oh, come on, have They're just making fun of each other, having a big time. We didn't care. Didn't matter if your colors matched or if you were in black shoes, white shoes, a green sock, or yellow sock. It did. We were just having fun, enjoying the Lord. They didn't talk long enough. All those preachers, they quit after an hour. That was way too little. We, we came a long way. We got four hours of it every day, and that wasn't quite enough. Five, actually. You know, that was a time in my life I have never seen anything come like that since then. In fact, one of the guys that was at that thing up there was 
a part of that back then. And he said, you know, that was a, a move of God I've never seen since anywhere. And I've heard a lot of movements, but I've never heard one that was that genuinely simple and sincere. You know, I would pray that it could be because I don't want to keep talking about the old days. But I'm telling you that God was good. God was good and God was wonderful and he did all those wonderful things and made us so happy. You know what it was about? We could see things we never saw before. Light. Oh, God. We could just see light. And who is the light? It's Jesus. He is the light. And if we walk in the light as, 1 John 1, if we walk in the light as... He is the light. Then we have fellowship with one another. We can't help it. We're seeking like-minded believers to fellowship with. Praise God. Well, that's the way it ought to be, folks. And this is one of the things that light does. But isn't this the call of all ministries? I'm talking to you too. Well, I'm not a minister. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's make you one. I turn to Ephesians 4. Let's make you all ministers. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. You can probably find this one real easy. It's probably got a smudge mark on it because you've been there before. And he gave to some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Who did the giving? Jesus did. These are his hand-selected, personally unctioned or anointed gifts. These are human beings. These are gifts as people. They're not charisma. They're called doma, that particular Greek word. These are human beings, not necessarily classy or uh, advanced. They're just ordinary people. Ordinary like us. Are you all ordinary? I am. You know that. But he takes ordinary people and he personally does that Brill Cream thing with them. Brill Cream a little. There, you've been there. And so the word anoint means to rub in. That's what the word anoint means. And so he rubs on something specific and something special to do something specific and something special. And you can't do anything without that. And when that unction or that anointing is not active, you can try and you can imitate him, but nothing happens. And so God anoints men to be apostles and prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers. They have a specific, we call them niche or ability to do something. And when they do it, people take note of it. I can go to school and learn how to preach, but that doesn't mean you're anointed. Amen. It doesn't even mean you're called. It just means you've learned how to do something. That's not necessarily going to work. There's rare cases it probably would. But verse 12, he said, for the perfecting of the saints. That word means to put the saints in right order. Katartizo. To mend the saints. To put the saints in order. We're out of order. He puts us here to put us in order. For the work of the ministry. The word there, we get the word deacon from, serving. That's what we do with each other. That's what we do with God. We serve Him. We're being taught that we should. 
the words that God will give to us will inspire us to do that. To the edifying of the saints. Or for the edifying of the body of Christ. Verse 13, this is an ongoing work. This is a priority of ministry. And the Bible said this is going on now and it will continue to go on till. Till when? Till we all come to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is a loaded verse. You realize how ultimate that is? That how much of a challenge that verse should be to any minister? Read it again. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. Secondly, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Thirdly, to a perfect man. Fourthly, to the measure of the stature of the very fullness of Christ. We have to study all of those things. We need a revelation of all of those things in order to properly teach all of those things. For this is the kind of work that should be going on, is supposed to be going on now in the body of Christ. Christ coming into focus, the light of the world is being examined and taught. And Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, what will the Holy Spirit do? He shall take the things of Jesus and will show it unto you. And when you begin to exercise your faith in all of that, and you begin to take the word as the way of life, and you begin to do that, it's John 14. He that has my words and keeps them, he it is that loves me, and he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and we will visit him and disclose ourselves to him. And so he shall be one with us, even as we are one with him. John 17, oneness, a unity of us with our Lord. Something deep different than we've ever known, begins to take place. We begin to mature and grow up into a perfect man. Perfect meaning one who has achieved, one who has arrived. Jesus was perfected, the Bible said. How could a perfect man be perfected? Well, the word perfected in his case simply meant he finished his course. He came to the where he was sent to come. So are we. That's what we're supposed to do to a perfect man. Paul's prayer at the end of Colossians 1, he says, I warn every man I teach that I may present every man perfect in Christ. Ministry. Preparation for the coming of the Lord. Duty bound. Any man, anybody in this room that has a call on your life to preach, get that message first. That message includes Primarily, the new birth, the forgiveness of sins, and a walking with God. How do we do that? Well, verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. That's what I describe without light. Don't see things right. But no more like children tossed to and fro and carried about with all kinds of different beliefs following movements which are brought on by the sly of men and cunning craftiness whereby, listen to this, they lie in wait to deceive saints. Who do you think inspires these men who deceive us? The devil. Wolves. 
in sheep's clothing. Is it possible? Then I ask you a question, anybody else who listens. Then why should you be offended at being told that, if you are? Why would anybody be offended if you tell them that some of the most dangerous ground that people walk into is in a church building? It doesn't have to be like that. It's not supposed to be. All I'm saying is that what God has given to us to preach will not allow that to happen. We will be ready. We will be wise. We will be discerning. And we'll be able to put the devil under our feet because we know we're aware of his devices. And then in verse 15 in Ephesians 4, he said, But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into him in all things, which is ahead. And there he is again, even Christ. That's what we're all about. For me to live is Christ. It's all about Jesus. All this in this room today, it should be, everything should be about Jesus. Jesus, the one they call the Christ. That's what our whole life is about. He's all I need. He is. He's all I need. But I don't want to just hear about him. I want to know him. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Because the sufferings I'm going through are because of my allegiance to him. I'm suffering in his behalf. I'm filling up and doing my part. All because of Jesus. He not only is the joy of my life, but he is also the things that brings turmoil into my life. I can't have the world to have him, and I'm put to the test. Will I follow him? I certainly hope so. He's all I need. Now, what is it that's going to bring this preparation? What is it that the ministry is going to require of us to bring this forth? Let me write on the board. One of the most wonderful words in all the Bible, faith. Not mental acknowledgement. Not sitting in the room and say, well, I agree with what was said that that's the truth. Anybody can do that. Well, I believe God, so does the devil. The devil believes God. What's the difference? Faith is always... And it's got to be taught. I don't know that this is either. I know it's taught somewhere. But faith is always an act of a man's will to count on God to do what he said. And you can do no more. There's no deeper walk you can have with God than to be willing to do that. You can't go beyond this. This is the ultimate in this life, is to be willing as a choice you make, this is my will, to be willing to take God at His Word. And knowing that my faith won't make it true, because it's true whether I believe it or not. But my faith puts me in agreement with God. I am saying by choice that God will do what He said. And if God said it, He will do it. Now, my privilege is that he has opened my eyes enough, the light has shined in far enough to see that for me to believe is for me to live as though God is true. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. How can you be sure? It's a revelation. 
I'll believe this until the day I'm gone. God shows you that you can do this. And you reach out and you grab a hold of this. Because God says, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It won't come back empty. When I send it out, I send it out with the ability to do something. Are you with me? The word of God contains ability. We call it power. Not one good word of God has ever been spoken without ability. No word is aimless or vain. He said, when the word comes back, it doesn't come back empty. But God said, my word shall accomplish that which I please. It'll prosper in the thing whereto I send it. Did he send his word for you to be strong in the faith? Then if you receive it, what does the word do? It makes you strong. It makes you strong by making you aware in a way you've never been aware. It makes you just know that this is possible because God made you think like that and see like that and understand like that. It's a revelation. It's the illumination of your mind and your heart by the Holy Spirit to know, know in your heart that God will do what He said. That God will do it. And if I trust in the Lord with all of my heart and I delight myself in the Lord, that He will give me the desires of my heart. See, I want to believe that. Now, He said that. That's true. But I want to believe that. I want to believe that the way the Bible describes believing. I want to have that in my heart as an absolute certainty. I said a couple of weeks ago, what a man wants to believe, and you may want to believe that, and what a man can believe are not always the same thing. When you're not listening, not paying attention, your life through the week is not much of a, being tuned in to God. There's a lot of things you want to believe, but you find you can't. Your heart doesn't let you. Because faith is always a matter of the heart. With the heart, man believes. Faith is a heart thing, not a head thing. You can confess anything you want to, but if it's not in your heart as a reality, if you're not persuaded and convinced in your heart that what God said absolutely will do it and has been done as far as you're concerned, it's not faith yet. But faith comes. How's it come? By hearing and hearing what? Somebody help me. What then are we supposed to do when we get in here? Preach the word. It not only sets the captives free, it also brings light to the surface and it will bring faith, which God honors and which honors God. This is what we're here for. This is what we all need a little bit. Well, you can't say more of. But a deeper experience with is faith. I say more of, you know, uh, faith is like a muscle. You don't need another muscle. You just need to use the one you got and let it get stronger and increase your strength. Look at all the things that God says about faith as we come to close. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. As I said a while ago, the ultimate zenith experience in your relationship with God, the highest you can do is to believe God. That's what brings everything to pass. You cannot make yourself better than trusting in God with all your heart. That's the height. That's what we should teach. 
Trust the Lord with this. Trust the Lord with that. Trust God with it. He'll take care of your body. He'll take care of your finances. He'll take care of this. He'll take care of your marriage, your kids, or your business. There's not a need you have that He can't meet if you'll believe Him. The power is available, as Paul wrote in Thessalonians. The power is available to those who believe. Not to those who know, to those who believe. Faith comes by hearing. If all you do is hear, all you have is knowledge. But knowledge isn't faith until you apply it. You have to be a doer of the Word and not just a hearer only. It's what we teach. I hope we do. Somebody said, oh, that's at faith church. I pray it is. Oh, they think that God will do anything. I pray we're guilty. You know, there are people that believe in divine healing. Oh, God, let us all be guilty. May we all be guilty of believing God. May we all realize that God holds us to faith. As evidence of our relationship to Him, He holds us to faith in our prayers. What's He saying, James 1, about a prayer that's not prayed in faith? Or you don't really believe when you pray it's going to work? Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God. We labor in this. We should. I know there's more in the Bible than faith. Somebody challenged me on it. There's more to the Bible than just faith. A man on medicine challenged me, said that once. And I challenged him. I said, aren't you taking medicine for something? See, the answer for what you got is faith. I don't mean that he had it in his heart yet, but he could have it. But not if you fight it. I'm just saying, folks, that our message about Jesus is that we should trust him. Jesus presents himself to us as the all-sufficient one. He shall supply all of them. Name one you, that he won't. All of them. My God shall supply all your needs through Christ Jesus. If you're made right with God through the forgiveness of your sins, as he said in Luke 1, if all your sins have been forgiven and you're made right with the Lord, you walk by faith. You can. I can take God at his word. We take each other's word all the time. There was a time in American history when people trusted each other. A deal was a deal if two men shook on it. For a Christian, it's a deal if you gave your word. You don't have to shake it and you just say, I'll do it, and it's done. You will do it because you're a Christian. I mean, you've been taught that way. But there was a time you could just shake hands and it was done. The people trusted each other that way. I think God holds us to that. You say to him, Lord, I believe what you said. I'm going to trust you with all of my heart. I'm not going to lean to my own understanding. And in all my ways, oh God, I'm going to acknowledge you and you will direct my steps. That's the Christian life. That's the Christian life. That's what we preach. There's nothing right now that I can think of in all the Bible. Somebody else might write me a note or tell me later, but I can't think of anything right now that is more necessary for us than that. For as Jesus said concerning his return, when the Son of Man returns, when he comes back, will he find faith? He didn't say, will he find love? He didn't say, will he find hope? Will he find church busy? Will he find the newest movement? He just said, will he find this?
I'm taking you at your word that if you said it, you'll do it. These are just three things we've said so far about why God sent us here. This is God's plan for us. This is what he wants to do here. This is it. And I might close this morning with just two brief thoughts. This preparation of God is twofold. One, it makes us useful to the Lord. Remember 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, In a great house are not only vessels of wood, but vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. He said, If a man will therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor and meat and sanctified and useful to the master. Listen to me, all of us. What have we done if after 30 years God can't use us? What do we do if after 30 years of this, if we're not useful to the Lord because we can't be trusted or we can't trust Him yet? Under pressure, under duress, we fall apart and draw back. He can't send us somewhere where there might be trouble because we might pale. We might fall down. We might give up. I can't, we say. What happens after, in your lifetime, but you, you come to the place where you say, oh, I can't, I ain't gonna, I can't, and I, then you're not useful to the Lord. Wouldn't that be terrible? That's one of the twofold effects of preparation. Because secondly, the other thing is that we're a testimony. You are a mouthpiece that God has, and a lost world is outside these doors. And one thing lost people need to know is that there is salvation through the forgiveness of sins for their rotten lives. You don't call them rotten because that's what we were. But to be able to tell people in your own general kind way, notes or talking on a bus in school, shop, wherever you run into people that a conversation comes up and you're quickened to talk. I don't witness everybody. Or sometimes the Bible says you don't cast your pearl before the news media. I'm sorry, uh, before the swine. And I wouldn't. I don't want to do that. Or to be on some of these TV shows where they hook you and crook you. You know, they got these preachers on these. Why would they do that? But remember, you've got a message. You've got a message. There are lost people out there. And sometimes you just say to them when you're talking, you ever think about the end of time, what's going to happen? Everybody likes to talk about the end of time. I don't know what kind of scares me. You know, it used to scare me too. Doesn't bother you now? No. Well, I found out how it's going to end. Nah, nobody knows that. Well, can I tell you? Can I tell you? See, a few years ago, I asked God in a real dramatic moment of my life, God to save me. Oh, you go, no, wait a minute, no, wait a minute now. I'm, I'm not going to run this over your head like a bulldozer. Let me tell you about me. And as God began to open my eyes and see things in the Bible that have been in her all the time, it's just been hidden from me. I began to see it. And there's hope for me. Jesus did what he did so I could be where I am talking to you right now and giving you the same information that he gave to me. That God has come and sent Jesus to save sinners. And you keep talking. Can you do that? Could you all have a conversation like that with somebody? You don't have to. Are you a sinner? I'm about to. I'm about to break bad on you. No. What was he say? We're to be as 
something about doves and gentle and, and, and opportunistic. And if they can't read or if they can read but don't want to talk, you do this. Here. You read that. It'll help you. If you want to, my number's on the back. If you want to call me, but we can talk about it. Lord bless your day. Thank you. And walk off. Leave them alone. Sow a seed. Jesus is coming. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you for these you have sent to hear it. I thank you for your willingness to do what it said. You said you watch over your word to perform it, and I know you do. May the challenge rise up in our hearts today to live like that's true. To know that God did not set me in this room, in this church, to be a continuous spectator, to be a casual visitor. But he sent me here with a design, and he sent me here with a purpose. And brothers and sisters, he sent you here for that too. We are here in the same boat with the same Jesus, the same mission in life, the same heaven. Let's don't waste our time. Let's pray that God would open our hearts and eyes and make us to see while we can the glories that the Lord has for us. I ask you to inspire us, O oh God, and teach us your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Praise God. God is good. Amen. All the time. Amen. Amen. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary.
Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory be unto God. Thank you for grace and mercy. Thank you for leading us and loving us. Thank you for giving us opportunities and chances and not throwing us away. Thank you for dragging us out of dark places and deadly places. Thank you, Lord, for loving us and caring about us and bringing us together. May we have the grace to take advantage of the opportunity and to redeem the time. I pray that we will know and learn how to draw near unto God and experience your nearness to us. That our life might count for Jesus when it's over. That we have not just existed, but we have lived for someone else. Inspire us to live such a life, O Lord. As we go through this day, I ask you to keep this on our minds and before us all the day. I ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.